Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Stephen Rothberg is the founder and chief visionary officer of College Recruiter, which believes that every student and recent graduate deserves a great career. College Recruiter's customers are primarily Fortune 1000 companies, governmental agencies, and other employers who hire at scale, meaning dozens or even hundreds a year. They advertise with College Recruiter, uh, their part-time seasonal internship and other entry-level jobs requiring zero to three years experience. Over the years, College Recruiter has helped 5 million candidates find great new careers. Wow, 5 million. That's, that's kind of crazy. That's amazing. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Appreciate having you on. Uh, it's my pleasure, Corey. Great to be with you today. So listen, we're going to talk about what College Recruiter does, which between the name and the bio is pretty, pretty straightforward, but we'll get into <laughs> some more details about you know, who you help, but also what kind of deals you've done to help grow your business. Uh, but before I do that, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. <laughs> what did you want to be? Because my guess is, you know, owning, founding and running a college recruiting company probably wasn't it at that age, but you tell me if I'm wrong. You're, you're sort of wrong, but not all that far off the truth. So um, funny that you mentioned 10, 12 years of age, because when I was about 10, I was in fifth grade, um, yeah. grew up in Winnipeg, Canada. And my fifth grade teacher calls my mom up on the phone and asks her to come in for a parent-teacher meeting. Not a regular conference, but a special meeting. That's never good news, no, right? No, no teacher no. ever says, hey, can you come in? I just want to tell you how proud I am of your son. It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> that's, that's the note that goes home in your backpack. That's not the face-to-face. -face. So my mother goes in and the teacher who, uh, Mr. Rock, says to her, did you know that your son is selling jawbreakers, big candy, uh, at school? And it's really not that he's selling it at school that's the problem. It's that he's selling them while I'm trying to teach math. <laughs> <laughs> So um, that's the earliest memory that I have of, of, of having the entrepreneur bug. But my dad, um, uh, who's still alive, was an entrepreneur and his father before him. And so I, I think it's uh, broken DNA or something like that. I love it. I love it. It's funny. I was, I was just thinking, I actually recorded a, another episode this morning with another guest. And uh, he and I actually had uh, the opposite uh, experience where we both were drawn to entrepreneurship from early age, but had nobody in our family to model after. So, mm. uh, so it's interesting that you, you did. So um, great. So you knew, so it sounds like you were entrepreneurial, uh, but not necessarily thinking you'd do, uh, you'd be finding jobs. Right. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. I, I don't think at the age of 10 that I really knew what a college student was. <laughs> right. but <yeah. laughs> I love it. 
And one more question, thinking back, what was your first deal you can remember of any type? It could have been something when you were a kid. It could be something early in your career. You know, just anything that comes to mind. Uh, well, you know, I could, I could use the same scenario. So the deal, if you could call it that, um, was that I discovered, uh, again, in fifth grade, that the most popular candy that that my friends and I were all after these big jawbreakers, those big you know those big balls that you put in your mouth and then yeah. you suck on them and they last for a day. If you've seen like the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, you know they talk about the everlasting gobstuck stoppers yeah. or something like that. It was they were kind of like that. Yeah. Anyway, if you purchased them at a retail store, uh, single, they were twenty five cents a piece. Yes. On the other hand, if you purchase them in a box, like today you'd go to like Costco, Sam's Club, whatever, they were a nickel a piece. So the deal that I had with my mother was that she would go and buy the box yeah. and there'd be, I don't know, a hundred of them in there or something. And so I paid her the, the nickel a piece yeah. and sold them to my friends for 25 cents a piece. And uh, um, the, the share that my mom got cut in on is that I would let her open the box and take one or two of the, of the gobstoppers if, <laughs> if she so desired. And, I and, I could tell, and I could tell you every time a shipment came through, they were, it was always a little bit lighter than the full hundred load. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, she's got to take some sort of commission of big or whatever, you know. You were you're only giving her a cost back uh, in the nickel. You weren't even giving her any part of the profit. I was like, I was going to ask you what she was getting out of it. Uh, yeah, to, to this to to this to this day, she will laugh about it, and she'd be like, "I have no idea why I drove all over town getting these for you." <laughs> I love it. I love it. So okay, so before we jump into the deal stuff that you've worked on to help you know grow your business and some things that yeah. you know maybe you're looking at. You know, obviously, listen, I, I was joking in the, in the intro, but it's true. You know, one of the great things about your business in the name is that it's very intuitive. Like, you know, it's not one of those ones where you have to figure out, oh, what does college recruiter do? You know, I mean, like, you get, you get the basics of it at least. But but tell me more in, in detail really about, you know, the, the service you, you, know, you provide and who you help and how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, interesting you say that the name, the name is really good. I wouldn't say quite that way, but... But I think that's what the way what you were thinking because there are actually two different meanings to college recruiter, and some of your listeners will probably be scratching their heads right now and be, thinking you like, "I think they to go to college is would be exactly." Yeah, yeah, They're yeah, probably yeah, thinking yeah, like, right. "Oh, well, you know, Corey hit the tequila a little bit early today." But uh, that yeah, that's but that's exactly right. So if you work as essentially a salesperson for a college or university. They'll call you like an admissions representative, but you're a salesperson. You're trying to convince people to pay money to attend that college or university. Your job title at most schools or many schools is going to be college recruiter. Uh, If you work for the military or for a large corporation and your job is to hire students and recent graduates, then one of the job titles that you might have is college recruiter. So when I started um, the, the product that the product basically took over the company in, in the mid nineties, the, the called the product, which was an employment magazine, mm-hmm. we called that college recruiter. And the reason that we used the name college recruiter was at that time. And, you know, this is 25 years ago now at that time, overwhelmingly the people 
in the talent acquisition departments or human resource offices whose job it was to recruit college students for internships, recent grads for entry-level jobs, their job title was college recruiter. So when we'd call them on the phone and say, you know, hey, we're calling from college recruiter, we're using the same words as their job title. And that was just golden. For those people, they absolutely knew what we did. Not so easy to protect um, intellectual property. It's not a made-up name, but it also wasn't that bad. And, and we, did, we did get some trademark protection for a fair, fairly limited use, like in the employment space. Yeah, yeah. And especially after you're using it for long, now that you've been using it so many years, it, it does get, gain strength. Yeah. You know, because you, 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 you've established it in commerce. In the beginning, it's harder with a generic, with a more generic thing. Yeah, so, so let's break it down. So, how do, you, know, how, you know, how does it work? How do you help folks, right? Is it, I mean, a lot of people yeah. know uh, all these online job boards that, are, you know, the, the general interest ones, all the big names, whatever. What, uh, is it just that you're niched or how else, you know, how else are you, you different? Yeah, it, the best way that I can describe it is for, for people who, uh, who know job boards, uh, LinkedIn, Indeed, Monster, Career Builder, et cetera. We are very much like them where candidates will come to our site and enter one or more keywords. It might be a job title, it might be your major, something along those lines. And then typically also a location, the location being where they want to work, usually city, state, something along those lines. The difference although, between Although us, these days, these days that's becoming less relevant, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm getting, I'm, you're ahead of me, buddy. The, <laughs> the, the um, overwhelm, uh, the, the biggest difference between, to, from the candidate perspective, when they yeah. come to our site versus say Indeed, the, the yep. biggest difference is that the jobs that they're going to see on Indeed is any kind of job, any yeah. years of experience, occupational field, whatever. With us, we are a niche site. So most niche job boards target a particular geographic area. CaliforniaJobs.com, uh, LosAngelesJobs.com, something along those lines. You also get niche sites by occupational field, you know, engineeringjobs.com, retailjobs.com, something along those lines. We're somewhat unusual, not unique, but we're somewhat unusual in that we kind of are targeting uh, an experience level, people with some call, at least some college education. So the business model is that, and this is overwhelmingly the case with job boards is that the candidates use the site for free uh, just like you would use your Sunday newspaper classifieds if you were in 1952 right. and the employers pay to advertise their jobs. Now, one of the things that's different from uh, the way we operate from many other sites is that we use what's called a pay for performance model. Employers mm -hmm. pay us when we send them candidates. So if a candidate comes to our site, sees a job posting ad, clicks our apply button and goes over to the employer's site, hopefully to apply, then the employer pay, pays us for that click, the, the okay. candidate going to the employer's site. The typical, let's call it legacy business model is more like the newspapers where it's what's called post and pray. We're going to pay you, the employer pays the job board $200, $300 a month, whether they get no applications or whether they get oodles of fantastic applications. Right. So it, it, there, there are different, definitely different revenue models uh, for, for different organizations. Another thing that makes this a little bit different, Corey, is that most job boards worldwide only operate in one country. Mm. And there are significant complexities when you start going across different borders, different privacy yep. laws, currency, 
yeah. uh, at, at different business practices, et cetera. Uh, about a year ago, we went global. And so we have thousands of jobs in dozens of countries. By the end of the year, we're going to have over 100,000 jobs in each of the 15 countries that where most people speak English. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a big leap, uh, you know, to make that move. Uh, after yeah, well, something else. Yeah, and I'm the chief visionary officer. That's my official job title, which means that I get to dream up these things and other people get to execute. So I win that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I know, I know the feeling. I, I, I play a similar role in my businesses. And then, uh, and in fact, whenever I go away on some sort of retreat or entrepreneurial, whatever, my team's always waiting, like, what is he going to come back with, you know, you know, this time? And, you know, and, and what I love, what I love about my team is a little aside, we'll get back to you, but is that uh, they're not shy. I mean, they're, they're up for it and they're going to implement it. And they're also not shy about explaining to me that, do you realize there's 16 steps you haven't thought of in manifesting that vision? You know, like, okay, yeah, but you'll figure them out. Yeah. Oh, it's, 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 it's interesting that you have the same team as I do. <laughs> well, you need that counterbalance, right? You know, <laughs> um, it's like, I remember I was at a seminar, somebody is just an analogy who, who said, um, you know, he had gone bankrupt in his first business and he had built his next business to uh, super, super success. And, uh, you know, the question was, well, how, you know, what contributed to the bankruptcy in the first business? And he said, well, you know, listen, I made a lot of mistakes on my own, but one of my, one of my mistakes was to hire an optimistic CFO. And his uh-huh. view was he and the other management team should be visionaries, but the CFO should be one of those positions where they're providing a counterbalance, like saying, no, we don't have the budget yeah. for that. Or at least put, and, and of course, he could always make the decision. But, you know, so he said, you know, he, he, was he an optimistic CFO? It was like, yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that I could see a, in the role of a CFO. And we have one who is, she's an optimistic person, but a very much a realist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, fortunately, we're doing, we're doing well. So she hasn't had to say this. But, you know, a CFO's job is definitely something to the effect of, you know, Corey, that is fantastic. That makes a ton of sense. I totally get where you want to go with this. However, it's going to cost us $150,000 over the next three months to do that. And you've got $14.82 in the bank. So let's talk. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, that's, yeah, the, the very political nice way to say, uh, come back to reality, Mr. Visionary, right? Um, <laughs> I love it. Um, so, all right. So let's hop into the deal side, because one of the things that I love is that, uh, you know, sometimes I've got, and listen, our listeners for the last three and a half years know this already, but if anybody's new to the podcast, you know, sometimes I have people on on that are, you know, very obvious, quote unquote, deal people, the investment bankers mm-hmm. to talk about how to put together an M&A deal or, you know, or, or, or raise funds for a company or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I, I like to have a lot of other people that are around and, and certainly the entrepreneurs. And one of the things that I love is, you know, there's, there's no, uh, like nobody would know, knowing your business that whether you, how you've grown, how you've, you know, done it and, and whether there's any, any deals involved. And, and I love showing that in any industry, in any business, there are ways to, you know, to grow through deals. So let's talk a little bit yeah. about what you have done, you know, in the partnership strategic alliance kind of, you know, area, which is something I know you've done some stuff on that uh, in addition to what I'm sure yeah. is great organic growth, uh, you know, that has helped you, uh, help you move the company forward. Yeah. One of the best deals that I helped initiate early on 
in the business. It was uh, 1998. So we had launched our job board two years before, 1996. Yeah. Homegrown technology. Uh, the components of it consisted of uh, bubble gum, bailing wire, and Band-Aids. <laughs> and literally, uh, we would get 25 people using our site at any given time, and it would crash. Right. So in 1996, 1997 terms, that wasn't all that bad. Uh, it yeah, was yeah, pretty sure. common. Right. Yeah, but you know, flash forward to like way out in the future, 1998. Uh, it's the same year Google launched, by the way. So we had clearly outgrown our platform, yeah. and we did not go out and raise a bunch of investment money. Should have, didn't, uh, and that was a personal choice. My wife and I had a young family. We didn't want to go down that path. In hindsight, there were other options. We didn't know them. We weren't smart enough at, at the time. Yep. But what we did is that we found a company called Boxwood Technologies. So they still exist, different ownership. Yep. And what Boxwood did at the time is that they provided technology, the, the job search engine, the resume bank, et cetera, to job boards. And we paid them a monthly fee. The monthly fee that we paid that included like all the development work, customer service work, then processing credit cards, dealing with customer complaints, everything, 2000 bucks a month. Ridiculously cheap for, for what we got. Shockingly, within a couple of years, they had realized that that wasn't a sustainable business model right. and that they wanted to, I wouldn't call it pivot, but I would say... They got smarter. They were always smart, but they got smarter. Yeah. And they started to realize that they were making a lot more money from some customers and just killing themselves with customers like us. Right. That they were spending most of their time and energy servicing customers like College Recruiter and almost no time or energy servicing associations. So they had like the American Marketing Association. If you weren't a member of the AMA, you could log into your account, click careers, go and search for a job, post a resume, whatever. So Boxwood made a couple grand a month from AMA and probably got one or two emails a month right. from those guys. Right. And for us, they got the same couple grand a month and probably had one or two emails of an hour right. from us. So, you know, where, where is their time better spent? So they... Uh, had, I believe it, I believe we had like a one year agreement with them that would automatically renew each year unless either party notified within 60 days, you know, blah, blah, blah. Typical, yeah. typical kind of subscription based, what we now call subscription based right. agreements. Very smart, you know, very low risk, doesn't take much time for either side to just kind of continue if times are good. About halfway into the second year, they came to us, um, John Bell, who was the CEO, still a good friend of mine today. And he could not have been more cordial and diplomatic, and yet also pretty insistent, right. where the message was basically, hey, you guys are a square peg, we're a round hole. Yeah. And as each day and each month go on, it's going to be more and more difficult for us to continue to do business with you. So we have a contract. We will absolutely honor the terms of that contract. But boy, will we make it easy for you to get out of this contract. So there is the door. And we're going to like sprinkle rose petals on the floor in front of you so that you can find your way to the door. And we will do everything 
to facilitate you leaving us as quickly as possible. And it wasn't that we were bad. We weren't paying our bills late or anything like that, but it was just obvious. We were no longer as, as their fit. model evolved and matured and developed, and they found out with the market and checked their profitability, you were no longer the right fit for the. For, yeah. For so, yeah. Yeah. So it was a great deal for us to go to them. The yes. money was right. And they also provided to us exactly what we needed, which was customer support, technology. It was a real win win. We fit in at the beginning perfectly with their business model. By the end, Perfectly not. <laughs> and they facilitated um, our migration from their service, where they were providing all that work, to the next company, which when we went to them, had a pretty similar business model. They were called Artemis HR. Mm -hmm. They changed their name to beyond.com. And then they sold that to Bed Bath and Beyond, and then it became Next uh, N E X X T. Oh, so they, they, they is, just they just sold the, uh, the the URL, not not yeah. The, and I yeah. think it was for I think I heard it was for something like six or eight million dollars or something nice. like that. You know, somebody nice. comes to you and and they offer you money like that for a URL. You kind of find a way of rebranding your company, which right, they right, did. Right, right, right. The folks at Beyond, somewhat similar to to the folks at Boxwood, it was a perfect fit early on. They did a ton of business development work for us also. Uh, our revenues went up like tenfold when we, were, when we were partnered with them. We focused then on driving candidate traffic. We focused on building our brand. We focused on building relationships with our employer customers. And all the, you could call it hard work, building the technology, handling customer service issues, website goes down, who's going to fix it at two in the morning, who's going to process all the credit cards, they did all that. And that time, rather than being a flat fee per month, the deal that we negotiated was a straight revenue share. And then there was some upside for them, because as our revenues went up, so did theirs. So it became a real win-win. That deal also was fantastic for a few years, yep. until it wasn't. They so before, went out and, before we go to yeah. the wasn't plot, let me let me just sure. uh, let me just stop you. So I want to make sure people know what we're talking about. So in both cases, these were situations where uh, these providers provided a technology backbone or whatever you want to call yes. it right? on a white label basis, meaning that yes. it was okay. So yeah. you know, and I think there's been an episode or two, but probably a while ago, listeners, where you know we talked a little bit about this concept of white labeling deals, which is. You know, where somebody comes in, they 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 have an existing, often it's it's a tech stack, technology, software, whatever it is, and they've you know and they provide it to different companies. Some sometimes it's interesting. They start out by customizing something for a particular client, then they realize that that you know can be useful for others, and then they 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 sort of you know create it. And it's a way where the company the that their client their partner, uh, meaning like the college recruiters, can have their own branding on it or whatever. And it usually somewhere right on the site. Mm -hmm. it's, I'd say powered by or exactly partnered with or whatever they get a little credit somewhere credit slash disclosure yeah yeah, yeah credit <laughs> so those are called white labeling deals so I wanted to just establish both of these were white label deals but then it sounds like with the with the second relationship with with beyond who became what they would beyond come uh, ne next N E X X T and they still exist and they're one of the top job boards in the world um, you know that they in addition to having the white label technology. And support, they did, you know, they, they did some other things for you that helped you uh, yeah. increase your business. Okay. 
Yeah. Like for example, early, early on in the relationship with what's now next. So my wife, who's our CEO, um, and she owns 51% of the company. I own 49, right? Yep. Happy wives make for happy lives. Yep. She and I flew out and to- now it's a women-owned women business, which also- and It is, and it's absolutely legit. She's our CEO. She runs the business. Our leadership yep. team reports to her. So, so it is truly one of those actually- Women yeah. own small businesses, yeah. but uh, so we not we flew out to Philadelphia where uh, where next is is uh, office. We had a meeting with their CEO, uh, who's still their CEO, Rich Milgram, super smart guy. We're sitting in his office, and it was maybe two months into our partnership, and Rich says, you know, "Walk me through where you make your money. Like, what are things that work? What are things that don't work?" And just like being a great partner, he wanted to to learn. Yeah. So. Showed him one page on our site where, because of our name, as you might remember from the beginning of our conversation, Corey, you had two different meanings. Yes. So we would have people coming to our site saying, I'm trying to find an MBA school. Can you refer me to an MBA school? And so it's like, you know, this is sucking up a bunch of customer service time. Why don't we build a page on our site that lists a bunch of schools? And then we found out that a lot of these schools would pay you for each lead. So we partnered with some of the schools and every candidate that we sent to them that would fill in their form, we would get like 20 bucks. And, and that business kind of dried up towards the end of, uh, I think it was like 2008, 2009, something like that. But in any case, before that, it was, it was pretty lucrative. So I showed Rich this page that was basically just a page of links. It was, it was better than that. But at the end of the day, it was a page of links. And he kind of, you could see the wheels turning in his head. We break for the day. We come back the next morning. It's probably 8, 8.30. We're probably having bagels or something in his office. And he says, let me show you something. And he pulls open his laptop and he goes to college recruiter and he shows us this school finder page. And I'm thinking it's some demo page. And he's just thinking, oh, this is what we should do. And you type in your name and your email address. And it's like, oh, you want an MBA and this kind of, you know, this, this, this facet, this facet, check, 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 hit submit, six schools come up. Do you want us to send your information to all six schools? You hit yes. Now, instead of one lead for 20 bucks, it's six leads for 20 oh, wow. bucks each. So we went from generating a couple thousand dollars a month to about $20,000 a month because of that work that, that Rich did. And those sorts of partnerships and business development um, deals that what was beyond what is now next did really propelled our, our growth. And uh, so finding the right partner, putting that deal together where it was a real win-win was just absolutely integral to, to our success. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. And then, you know, there's another interesting part of this, which uh, we talk about a lot less that I'd love you to get to. And you mm -hmm. alluded on the first one that it was a, you know, uh, a, a uh, amicable uh, split. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and in fact, you know, 
it sounded like the CEO of that company, I mean, couldn't have handled it better, right? You know, it was very right. similar. Um, and you also were about to, before I sort of backtracked this, talk about that this second relationship with Next came to an end at some point as well. And yeah. from what, you know, our little pre-call, I, I remember you saying is that that one also was, you know, amicable. You know, in fact, you use yeah. a phrase, which I love, you know, like uh, uh, adults in the room, right? So yeah. talk, to, talk, talk to, because listen, I don't litigate. There's a reason I don't litigate because I don't <laughs> like, you know, I, I like putting deals together and finding ways to make them work and helping companies grow as opposed to fighting over it. Now I do uh, sometimes negotiate partnership disputes and split ups and that kind of stuff, whatever. So I'm involved sure. with it sometimes. And we all know that many <laughs> times it doesn't go amicably. And even if there's not litigation or arbitration or whatever, you know, there's, grumbling and people are unhappy, right? And whatever. Yeah. So so this conversation on how you end a relationship that's no longer working, that had been working for a period of time, it's no longer for whatever reason, as adults in the room is one that I think is so valuable. So how'd you, how, how do you do it? Yeah, so absolutely. Um, Rich and his chief legal officer, uh, who happened to be his wife, but Wicked smart attorney, corporate attorney also, her orientation absolutely was to try to make everybody happy enough that everybody could kind of live to fight another day yep. and not spend a whole bunch of money on legal fees and get tied up in a courtroom and depositions, et cetera, until you're all old and gray and grisly, which right. I actually kind of am now, but, but anyway, that's another story <laughs> for another day. But so what ended up happening was beyond which now is next went and raised a bunch of uh, venture capital money mm -hmm. and that instantly changed their plans who they wanted to work with how they wanted to scale etc so i never thought that they made a mistake for for them it wasn't at all immoral illegal anything like that but what it did is it did fundamentally change how they wanted to grow their business right and that became over time less and less compatible with how we wanted to grow our business so they got together with us and we agreed that the best thing for both organizations was to part ways as quickly as possible and it wasn't like you know, there's a fire and we need to like evacuate the building or anything, but it was, you know, over the next few months, let's amicably separate, work through some of the details, who owns the data, how do we get the data to you, et cetera, et cetera. Now, fortunately, turning back the clock, um, I'm, I'm a fully recovered lawyer. I was smart enough to hire really good legal help to do the deal in the first place. So, you know, when wealthy couples get divorced, if there's a good prenup, makes the divorce pretty easy because you've already agreed, you know, who gets the kids and who gets the dog and who gets the boat and all of that kind of stuff. If you get the dog, you win. If you get the boat, you lose. But that's, you know, whatever. When we went into the deal with Next, they offered us two versions of their contract. One version, I think, was a two-page, what I would call a service agreement. It's mm -hmm. kind of similar to if you sign up for music downloads with Apple or something like that. You know, you go and you sign up for an email product. It's everything is to the party's benefit. The draft of the agreement, you don't even really read it. You scroll to the bottom, you check a box, you're done. 
And you know, you have no rights. You have all the obligations and you've got none of the rights. The other agreement that they offered was like 20 pages. Hmm. And they gave that to me in a Word document. And I gave that to our intellectual property lawyer who redlined the hell out of it. And we worked through all the red lines. And then we had essentially our prenup. So when it came time to part ways, we went back to that document and everything was just ridiculously clear. It, there were no yeah. real disputes because the lawyers had done good lawyering. They had figured out in advance when you guys part ways, it's not if, it's when, who owns the candidate data? Who owns the relationship with the customers? If invoices went out before you parted ways and payments came in after, where do those payments go? Do you still owe a revenue share on them? There were lots and lots of details to, yeah. to work through. And I'm, I'm smarter than average, but I'm not brilliant. I would not have thought through all of those issues. The lawyers did, both for Next and for college recruiter. So when it came time to part ways, it's just like, okay, well, let's talk about the payment issue. Well, clause 12E says, blah, 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 blah. Do we have any questions? Nope, that's pretty clear. So was there some grumbling? Oh, I'm sure. I, I remember I had some grumbling because it's like, damn, I wish I hadn't agreed to that. I have to believe that the same thing happened on their end, but it was just plain. Very plain language, very easy to understand. And so we were able to, to part ways pretty well. And I know there have been other job boards that have had somewhat similar partnerships with other organizations. And it's been a nightmare for them to part ways because what one side thinks is absolutely reasonable is absolutely unreasonable to the other side. If you can't agree on how to part ways when you enter into a partnership, you know, good luck when you're leaving that partnership. Oh yeah, and that applies to so many, you know, that's why doing shareholders agreements or operating agreements for, you know, multi-owner, you know, companies is, is so crucial, you know, yeah. clear on your strategic alliance joint venture agreements or, you know, so it's great that second example that how much headache it saved you uh, by, and listen, a lot of entrepreneurs, whether it's because of speed desires or saving money upfront desires would have gone with the two page contract and it would have been, you know, a very different uh, experience at the, at the back end. Yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you a third reason for avoiding those agreements. And, and, and that is the reluctance to face reality mm. that a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to look at the possibility of something potentially going wrong. We tend to be optimists yeah. and we tend not to want to be realists about the, the likelihood, the almost certainty that at some point that partnership, that deal is going to come to an end. And, and we just shoot ourselves in the, in the feet over and over and over again yeah. when we do that. And I like the way you use the word realist to counterbalance optimists as opposed to pessimists. Cause uh, you know, it's, <laughs> no, cause it's, I mean, it's true. It's, you know, it's uh, I, I think that's, I think that's an accurate way to put it. Uh, okay. So, so, so after that, what did you end up bringing technology in house? Or you, or you yeah. Uh, yeah. So we brought it in house. We did it at times with using like some software that we purchased and licensed in 2014, we built the software from the ground up without buying anything off the shelf. Now, 
like every other business in the world, we didn't build everything that we own, right? You, you, you definitely, you buy stuff, you license stuff. And there's no doubt that we have the same thing, but, but basically almost all of the technology, if you come to our site and you interact with it, we, we built and own all of that. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It got to the point where that made sense. Um, all right. So let's hit one other, uh, we're coming towards the end here. Uh, but let's hit one other topic before I go to my last couple of questions. And that is for bigger companies, there's always a build by decision, right? Yeah. And often, uh, you know, when they see somebody who is 25 plus years, uh, 30 mm-hmm. years, something like that, 25 plus years, around, you know, so obviously, you know, you must do okay <laughs> in your niche. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I'm, you know, joking by saying, okay, you know, to, to, to last that long. I, uh, yeah. I've got to imagine that some of the big boys and girls, you know, uh, you know, have, have said, hey, you know, we can, this is a nice niche. Do we build it or do we buy it? And, you know, I, I can't imagine you haven't gotten inquiries. Right. Yeah. No, we, we have definitely had um, conversations over the years, including very early on in like 1998, we, we, you know, two years after the job board launched when everybody said, oh, if you have a website, you must be great. Right. You know, here's an offer. So and, and, and for, two, for, two for years ye- before the bubble, the dot com bubble. Yeah. 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 Like there was, yeah. They, 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 the, the company that came to us in 1998, they, our revenues were probably only $300,000 a year or something. And I think the offer was like $3 million in cash. Right. And that was a, and the only reason I get into that example was, it was a really good example of what was happening early on in our business. We had two potential kinds of buyers that would come to us. One was that kind. The offer was really nice and they had absolutely no ability to fund it. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. I mean, the last time I walked into a really nice steak restaurant and tried to order a $100 steak and said, hey, I don't have any money, but I'd love to have the steak, they politely declined. And we kind of did the same thing with those right. buyers. Right, because the three million, it could have been thirty million. It didn't matter if they get. They, yeah, you know, it, it, right. could have been. Could have been three dollars. I don't think they. I don't think they would have had the money for that. Right. We had another one around the same time. It was a one of the dot bombs uh, for listeners old enough to remember. They were a whole bunch of what we now call pre-revenue companies. That on paper they were worth a lot of money. They had little to no revenue and even less of a business plan. And I think it was called like collegesearch.com or something like that. So they claimed that they were worth like, I don't know, $300 million or something. And they probably had $14 in revenue. (laughs) And they called me up out of the blue. And I think it was like November 20th. I remember it was right before Thanksgiving. And they were like, you know, we looked at your business. We think you're a good fit. Um, If we were to make you an offer, would you be able to close by the end of the year? So like five weeks. And I'm like, depends on what your offer is. <laughs> right. My wife and I own 100%. We don't have any outside shareholders. So if we want to do the deal, we'll, we can do the deal. Right. And, you know, yes, there's going to be some due diligence and you're going to want to see some papers and financials and whatever, but how long is that going to take? It's a pretty small business. Yep. And so they came up with an offer and the offer was, again, it was pretty good money. And we were like, well, okay. And then they went radio silent. And so we hear about candidates and employers ghosting each other. Well, they were ghosting. And so day after day after day, no response, no response. It was just really, really weird. And it got to be the end of December. It got to be early January. And then they filed for bankruptcy. It's like, oh, well, that's uh, 
that that's a good indicator as to why they why they went away. I, I would say, Corey, to sort of directly answer your question, I would say that most months we have at least somebody who is kicking the tires. And in yeah. our industry, it's not that we have new potential buyers each month, but a lot of these buyers will they'll reach out in February and we'll have a couple of conversations, emails, whatever, and that will go on for months and months and months. And um, we did have an offer and a purchase agreement signed that would have been really nice for us and really nice for the buyer. And we were literally about, well, it wasn't quite signed. The terms were all negotiated. There was like a, like three or four words that needed to be worked through. And then we were going to sign it. And it was like March 8th or 9th, 2020, uh, which was COVID. And it was a big staffing company. And they were, it, they were worried, justifiably so, that they were going to be going out of business yeah, because yeah. everything was going into lockdown. So they made the right decision by pulling the plug and uh, really haven't heard much from them since then. I actually don't even know if they survived COVID or not. The number of staffing companies went under or just aren't at all what they were before COVID. So, you know, my wife and I are in our, uh, in our 50s and we've always said that we're married to each other. We're not married to the business. And I hear that from friends of ours who also own their own businesses that have good marriages. They talk about being married to each other, not being married to the business. Anybody who dies a nice, you know, at a nice old age and takes their business to the grave with them is really doing a disservice to their family mm. and to their employees and other stakeholders. So, you know, at some point there'll be an offer and it'll be a win-win and, and we'll do the deal. I'm not going to be 94 years old and die and still be running this company. This, 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 for, for the sake of everybody that we serve, that better not be the case. Yeah, you're, you know, listen, there are, I, there are some of those people who are going to, no matter what you tell them, they're going to die with their boots on, so to speak, you know, at the desk. But yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah no, I get it. I get it. You know, all right, great. So listen, uh, if people want to find out more, I mean, I think obviously it's, you know, it's a, it's a great business. Uh, Serves a very clear targeted niche. Uh, you know, um, folks, um, you know, need it. Uh, where can people find out more information about you? Yeah, they can, uh, if they want to just sort of learn more about the company, collegerecruiter.com. It's a website. Um, we're not hard to find. We're uh, all over social media, LinkedIn, et cetera. If they want to contact me directly, um, as is the case with probably everybody that you ever interact with professionally, I'm on LinkedIn, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, Rothberg, R-O-T-H-B-E-R-G. Or they can email me, Stephen at collegerecruiter.com. Great. Excellent. So, Stephen, uh, my final question on the podcast is always about my highest value in life, which is freedom. And for me, mm -hmm. that means everything for, from freedom from all people around the world, from oppression to why I haven't had a boss in decades. Um, <laughs> what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Uh, interesting. You know, I, I, I think I would define it similarly. I have a hard time thinking of my personal freedom without other people around me also having that. So... We've definitely had some really hard financial years. The last few have been really great. Mm -hmm. So currently money isn't an issue, right. but there've been lots of years where it was like, how are you going to buy groceries? You know, thing, you know, and so freedom 
to be able to pay your bills hmm. on time without being up at three in the morning stressing about it. That's a big deal. The yeah. reality is the vast majority of people in this world do not benefit from that freedom. And freedom to be able to enjoy the fruits of our labors. Mm-hmm. Um, there's way too much bigotry and oppression and just people trying to hold other people down in order to have more power. There's mm-hmm. way too much of that in the world. We can look at Ukraine and see, see that happening right before our eyes. And we can also see that happening in with mass shootings and, and, that, and, and those issues going on. You don't have somebody walking into a supermarket trying to kill every person of color they can. Uh, and for any of us to be able to say that we're truly free when, mm-hmm. when that is happening, we shouldn't need to be afraid to go to a school, to go to a grocery store. And that kind of freedom is, is hard to imagine right now. But I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to get closer to that. Was it what Thomas Jefferson used to talk about, you know, the, uh, when the declaration of, you know, the pursuit of happiness, right? We don't promise happiness, yeah. but we should be able to pursue it. Yeah. And, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to get there. there. Yeah. Love it. Love that answer. Stephen Rothman, thank you so much for being a great guest on the DealQuest podcast. My pleasure, Corey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.